Did you guys enjoy that? Was that fun for you too? Don't tell Doug, he'll make us do it again someday, but that was fun. I want to encourage you to turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 19 this morning. As you do that, I want to take a moment now to dismiss our children upstairs for kids' crew. It's a time of worship for them. You'll see our leaders headed upstairs with them. So much fun as they do that. Let me give you a little bit of the background on where we are. We started last week a sermon series that we're calling The Power of Prayer. We are studying key prayers in the Old Testament learning lessons about how these prayers inform not only our, our prayers, our prayer life, but importantly, our, our faith, the response of faith today. And so 2 Kings chapter 19 this morning will be our passage, our text that we look at, the story of Hezekiah. Now, do you ever, do you ever find yourself in situations where you think to yourself, boy, that I responded or I, something that I did is just like my parents. Do you, you, ever, you ever find yourself in a situation like that? Maybe it's something that you said. Maybe it was even just the way that you said it, a, a phrase that they had, an idiom, or maybe a certain idiosyncrasies about just their habits or the little things that they do. I find myself more and more in, in, in little subtle ways, thinking that I'm turning into, or, or maybe even I should just say have turned into my father, which is not such a bad thing, really. My dad is a great man, one of my, one of my, my real heroes in life, a great example for me to follow. But it, it's funny how it's been completely unconscious, right, this transformation into becoming like my dad, that it wasn't something that I set out to do per se. It wasn't something, it's just when someone influences your life in such a great way, you tend to respond and act like they do. But sometimes there are certain moments, there are certain people even, who maybe through the course of certain painful experiences, or maybe you didn't have a great example to follow from a parent, a mother, a father. And so maybe in many ways, what you find is not that you've become like your parent, but it's, it's as if you have overcorrected. You have gone the opposite direction. So maybe, maybe you have very intentionally sought to be completely different from your parents. Maybe it was something about them, something about the way that they spoke to you, the way that they conducted themselves, the, the way that they responded in pressure moments, and you decided somewhere along the way, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be that. I'm, I'm going to make an intentional choice to break the chain, to be different, to uh, reverse the, the, the direction, uh, so to speak, that, that was influencing me. And what we find in the text that we're studying this morning is such an example because when you study the history, the history, excuse me, of Israel, particularly of the divided kingdom, this is a part of the history of Judah. The history of Judah. Hezekiah was one of the kings of Judah. The southern tribes, the location of the city of Jerusalem, and also we know that Hezekiah was a part of the royal lineage of David. In fact, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Matthew even lists King Hezekiah in the lineage that's given for Jesus there in Matthew chapter 1. And it's a part of this lineage, it's a part of this royal line of David Hezekiah ruled as a king in Judah around the, the, the end of the 8th century into the beginning of the 7th century B.C. 
And in this period of time, in the period of time of Hezekiah's reign, he instituted great reforms reversing the direction of his father Ahaz. See, Hezekiah's father Ahaz was a wicked king. He was wicked. In fact, uh, some of the most wicked, despicable deeds that happened in the period of Israel's history occurred during the reign of Ahaz. One of the things that Ahaz did that was absolutely deplorable in his own day, and, and we think of it in, in our day as well, is he, he looked to the gods of their neighbors and began to worship the gods of the surrounding peoples, the gods of uh, Damascus, the gods of the Philistines, the gods of the Amalekites, the gods of the Assyrians, and he would offer tribute. But one of those gods in particular was the god of Molech, which was essentially, it was, it was all about child sacrifice. And so one of the many deplorable things that Ahaz did was he led the nation of Israel to offer children as sacrifice to this pagan god. They, conduct, they conducted themselves uh, in, in all kinds of wicked wicked acts of worship, and there were all kinds of, of things that really would rival even the most hedonistic, the most evil and vile things that we could think of even in our modern time. But among the most detestable was the sacrifice of children even. And in all of this, Hezekiah saw his father's ways. He saw his father's wickedness. He saw the evil. And when Hezekiah took control of Judah as the ruler, as the king over Judah, he instantly instituted reform. In fact, if you study, and, and you can find accounts of Hezekiah's life, both in 2 Kings, you can go to 2 Kings chapter 18, or in 2 Chronicles. You can go to 2 Chronicles, and you can look in the, in the 30s, and, and, and there are several chapters. You can go to chapter 32, uh, particularly in 2 Chronicles, but you'll find in 2 Chronicles 31, you'll, you'll find pieces of the story of Hezekiah. We're going to focus, of course, on 2 Kings, the passage in 2 Kings. Also, in the book of Isaiah, you'll find about King Hezekiah in Isaiah, Isaiah 37, 38, 39. These are all places where Hezekiah is mentioned because the prophet Isaiah ministered in part during the reign of King Hezekiah. So at 25 years of age, Hezekiah becomes the ruler, the sole ruler over Judah. And instantly, he institutes reform. Instantly, he sends a decree throughout the land that the people were to turn back to their God. They were to turn away from the, the false gods, the pagan gods of their neighbors, and that they were to devote their hearts to God. That if they did not do this, that there, not only would there be consequences, but it was a sure sign that God would send judgment on them and would deliver them into the hands of the Assyrians as he delivered their neighbors to the north, their kin, the tribes of Israel, the northern ten tribes, were delivered into the hands of the Assyrians, conquered by the Assyrians during the time of the reign of Hezekiah. And so Hezekiah immediately institutes reform, immediately calls for the people to turn their hearts, to seek God, to seek revival, and God blesses. In fact, I want, I want you to look in your Bible at one verse in particular. Uh, we'll say two verses in 2 Kings chapter 18. We're going to be in chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 14 in just a moment. But jump back to 2 Kings 18 and look at verse 5. This is what, this is what the, the word records for us about the character, the person of King Hezekiah. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, 
so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. Now, I've always thought it interesting that Hezekiah was such a righteous man and walked so closely with the Lord and honored God because all of the signs pointed to the fact that really he should have done the opposite. His father was a wicked king. The kings before his father continued to dabble further and further and deeper and deeper into this uh, idolatrous pagan worship, the worship of their neighbors, which was not the worship of the true God. And so they, they, they had slowly been on this trajectory. You can say not even so slowly, but they had been on this downward trajectory toward, toward running from God, running from the covenant that they had with him, turning their backs on him completely. And all of a sudden, in an instant, when Hezekiah becomes the king, all of that changed. He instituted reform. He walked with God in righteousness. And the result was that God rewarded him greatly, rewarded the kingdom greatly during the time, the reign of King Hezekiah. But the thing that I want us to focus on particularly in Hezekiah's story is this, this instance when Hezekiah stood for the name of God against the king of Assyria. Now, Assyria at this time, in the time of Hezekiah, Assyria was the most dominant world power that had ever been seen. More dominant than the Egyptians at the height of their reign, more dominant than any other force. Now, we know from history that the Assyrians, in many ways, uh, started this, this trend of these great dominant kingdoms. There were the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Medo-Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. And there was this, this continuous succession over hundreds of years of these dominant world powers. But Assyrians were, were the first and, and the greatest at this point. But they were also a ruthless people. They were, they were ruthless warriors. And the king of Assyria was a ruthless man. In fact, in part of the story, there's, a, there's a, a point where the Assyrians have surrounded the city of Jerusalem. And they are beginning the process of laying siege to the city of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was a city that's located in the mountains. And so because of its high position it was, and, and the fact that it was well fortified, it was, it was uh, easy to, well, I shouldn't say easy, but it was a well fortified, well defended city that Jerusalem stood strong in part because of its strategic location. And in addition to that, we know that Hezekiah, one of the things that Hezekiah did so, so, so wisely during his reign is that he actually enclosed Israel's water source within the walls of the city so that if they were to be surrounded by the Assyrians or another army, that they would have a constant source of fresh water. In fact, the story goes that Hezekiah built the tunnel that we now call as Hezekiah's tunnel today. It still is there in Jerusalem today. And they began digging the Hezekiah's tunnel from two ends through bedrock and stone and met in the middle. It was, it's a, even to this day, it stands as a real feat of engineering that they accomplished such a thing. And, and Hezekiah did this because of the Assyrians and others who threatened them. And so the Assyrians surrounded the city of Jerusalem with at least 185,000 strong in their army. And the king of Assyria sent messengers to the people of Jerusalem. He sent messengers to the wall. And there outside the city, they met Hezekiah and other leaders. And they were speaking to them in uh, Aramaic. And 
the, those who had gone out to consult for Israel said, speak to us in this language because we understand this language. Don't use the language of our people so that they won't hear. And the Assyrians, knowing the Hebrew language, remember they, they had already conquered the northern tribes of Israel, so they knew the language of the, the tribes of Israel. They knew the Hebrew language. The Assyrian uh, leaders called out in a loud voice and screamed out to the people on the wall, the warriors on the wall in Hebrew, don't listen to your king Hezekiah. Don't listen to him when he tells you that God is going to deliver you into our hands. Don't listen to him because you will all die. If you turn to us and you come on our side, then we will deliver you and everyone will have their own spring and everyone will have their own fig tree and everyone will have their own vine. But if you don't listen to us, then we will conquer you and we will carry you off. Don't listen to your God, they cried out further. See, where are the gods of the 46 other nations that we have conquered? Where are their gods? Have their gods protected them? They mocked God openly in front of all of Israel saying, don't listen to your king. Don't listen to the word of your God. And so Hezekiah in his brokenness over this put on sackcloth and went to the temple And there in the temple, he cried out to God. And he sent messengers to the prophet Isaiah. And he he had these messengers go to Isaiah and and ask Isaiah what they should do. And we see in the earlier part of 2 Kings chapter 19 that Isaiah prophesies. He responds to them. Say to your master, I'm reading from verse 6. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because the words that you've heard with which the servants of the kings of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. God said to Isaiah, and then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, don't listen to them. God will deliver you. Stand strong. Honor the Lord. And so in the temple, this is the prayer that we have, as Hezekiah has received the news from the prophet Isaiah, and he goes into the temple Again, in sackcloth, covered in ashes, signs of brokenness and repentance, contrition before God. And we read that he spreads out the letter from the king of Assyria. He spreads the letter out before the Lord in the temple. And he prays, God, this is the word that has been mocked and reviled against you. God, will you deliver us? And so let's read this powerful prayer of Hezekiah, 2 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. By the way, that, the, the, the phrasing of that in the Hebrew language, the spread this before the Lord, it's the same kind of language. In fact, the very same words used in, for example, in Isaiah chapter 6, where we read about the cherubim who spread their wings before the Lord. It's this, it's this picture of genuine Openness, this, this picture of, of, of humble contrition before the Lord that says, God, I will receive whatever you have for me. It's, it's this sign of humility and reverence at the, at the true might and the worth of God. And so Hezekiah prays in verse 15. He prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, 
which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. In brokenness, I suppose in part out of fear, but certainly in great faith with all that God could do, Hezekiah cried out to the Lord. And we see that God honored Hezekiah's prayers because he was a righteous man. In fact, what do we read in chapter 18? That there was none like him in all of Judah's lists of kings, that Hezekiah was a righteous man and that God honored him and gave him a great rule over the the children of Israel, particularly over the, the tribe of Judah, because he was a righteous man. And if we learn anything important about Hezekiah's life that we can apply in our own life is that when Hezekiah faced distress, when he faced problems, when he was troubled, he took it to the Lord and he spread it out before God. And he said, God, this is what your enemies have said that they're going to do. Lord, I, I cry to you. I call out to you. Would you deliver us for your sake, for your name, so that all the nations of the world would know that you are the true God, that you are the Lord. He spread it before the Lord. So there's a, a pattern of sorts here in Hezekiah's prayer that I want us to study. Now, I want us to study this pattern of Hezekiah's prayer because I think there are some great applications and some great lessons for us. What I, I don't mean to say this. I don't mean to say that you just take this prayer and you just pray the exact same way and that you will get the exact same results. Following the Lord and certainly walking in obedience to him, honoring his word is not formulaic, like just A, B, C, and then D, right? We just do steps one, two, three, and you get your best life now or whatever. That's not the way that it works. That's not even really how it worked in Hezekiah's life. But there's a pattern to this prayer, which is so good and so instructive for us that not only can inform the way that we pray, but it also can inform how we can go to God and expect by faith God to move and to act according to his name, his renown, for his glory, when we will humble ourselves before him, when we will seek him in prayer. And so... Four points that I want us to see in this is Hezekiah, again, as he spread this before the Lord. The first thing is this, is that he recognized God's power. He recognized God's power. If we want to pray the way that Hezekiah prayed, then we need to recognize God's power. Think about this. The same God that Hezekiah prayed to is the same God that you and I pray to. And here's the power of this God that we pray to, the same power that God had in the time of Hezekiah. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah that he would deliver Israel into, uh, or rather not deliver them into, but deliver them out of the hands of the Assyrians. The Assyrians had surrounded the city of Jerusalem. All looked lost. All of the other cities and all of the other nations that, it, that Assyria surrounded in such a way fell eventually to the Assyrians. But God promised, at least in this moment, in this instance, God promised that he would deliver his people. And so what happened is the king again cries out and mocks God. And he goes to sleep one night and he wakes up the next and overnight the angel of the Lord visited the armies of the Assyrians. And we read at the end of chapter 19 that over 185,000 
were dead overnight because the angel of the Lord killed them as they were encamped around the city of Jerusalem. The power of God is that he did what seemed impossible. He, with a, with a single stroke, with, the, with the, the word, he brought to ruin the armies of the king of Assyria. Not only that, God sent word to Isaiah that he would deliver this, this king by the hands of his own And we know that what happened is that this king, this king of Assyria, Sennacherib, went home in shame to his home country. And it was there in his own country that two of his sons rose up against him and killed him with the sword. God God not only delivered Israel, the, the, the children of Judah, the way that he said that he would, but he even took care of the king of Assyria the very way that he, that he said he would through the prophet Isaiah. This is the power of God. And the same God that Hezekiah prayed to is the God that you and I pray to now. And the same power of God that brought to ruin the armies of the Assyrians overnight is the same God that has power to do whatever you ask of him. Now, does that mean that if you pray, God, will you kill my enemies, that he's going to do that? I, I, I certainly believe that he has the power to do that, but my own experience, uh, not that I've ever prayed for my enemies to die, but my own experience is that, that God's, not going to, God's not going to work exactly like what we see here, but he is going to work in a way that is for his kingdom and his profit and his glory. And so in our lives, what we have to do is approach the Lord in humble faith, believing in the power of of the God that we pray to? Is it that there is sickness in your life? You can believe that God has the power to deliver you. Will he? Frankly, I don't know. But he has the power to do that. Maybe there's trouble in a relationship, trouble with someone close to you, and you're greatly distressed over it. It, it really, it, it, it's breaking your heart, and it's a huge burden in your life. You can pray to God knowing that he has power to act in such a way that all your problems would be solved in an instant. Will he? I don't know. But it's the power of the God that you pray to. Maybe you think, Lord, we don't know where our next meal is coming from. Maybe times have been hard financially. You don't know how you're going to make it. You don't know how you're going to get through. You can pray to God believing in the power of the one that you pray to. And he has the power. The same God that you and I pray to is the same God that Hezekiah prayed to. And so we come before him and we recognize his power over everything, over anything. There is nothing that you might pray to God about that he does not have sovereign dominion over. And so pray to him, recognizing his power over everything in your life. Secondly, when we pray to God, we should request his intervention. Request God's intervention. That's exactly what Hezekiah does. He goes before the Lord here and he says, God, you are enthroned above cherubim. You are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. This is the power of our God that he created everything. And then he says, he prays, God, would you intervene? Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib. Which he has sent to mock the living God. He's, he's crying out, God, would you intervene? God, would you move? God, would you work? 
In 1 John chapter 5, verse 17, we know that, that God has the power to do whatever we ask of him when we ask in his name. Now, it's important that we understand what it means to ask in his name, to ask in the name of Jesus. That doesn't mean that you can pray for whatever you want and just end your prayer with, in Jesus' name, and now magically you've sprinkled the magic prayer words in and the Lord's going to do whatever you said. That's not the way that it works. Asking in Jesus' name means you're asking according to his will. It means that you are asking according to his divine plan. And, and, and that means that you have to acknowledge that whatever God does is good and right, even if it's not what you ask of him. Asking according to his name means that we come before him in humility. It means that we recognize our sin that clouds our judgment, that causes us to want things that we shouldn't want. It causes us to chase after things that our hearts ought not to desire. When we come before God and we pray according to his name, we humble ourselves before him and say, God, this is the request of my heart. This is what I want. And Lord, if it would be your will, would you do this? Lord, would you, would you make this happen? That's what Hezekiah did. God, would you incline your ear? God, would you turn your eye to see? He requested God's intervention. But not only did he recognize God's power, did he request God's intervention, but he renounced worldly ways. Look at what he says about the Assyrians and those who mock God. Truly, O oh Lord, verse 17, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands. We know over 40-something nations at this point. 46 uh, is the number that, that I studied and read. And, and there's some, you know, it, some of that depends on if there are neighboring states. But regardless of not getting too deep into the weeds of all that, the bottom line is all of the nations essentially surrounding Jerusalem had fallen to the Assyrians. And not only that, all of their gods that those same nations prayed to did not deliver them in their time of trouble. And the, the heart of Hezekiah's prayer is, God, so that these nations might know that you are the true God, would you intervene? Not for our sake, Lord, but for your sake, for your name, for your covenant that you have made with your children. He cried out to God. He renounced worldly ways, the ways of these nations. They've cast their gods into the fire for they were not gods, but the works of men's hands, of wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. Hezekiah recognized the reason that the, the gods of the other nations didn't deliver these other nations is because they were nothing more than, they were nothing more than false idols. They were man-made objects of wood and stone. They were powerless. They could do nothing to deliver them. And yet, Hezekiah knew that he was praying to the God of creation, the ruler of heaven and earth, the one who sat enthroned in the cherubim. He knew the power of his God. And so he renounced the worldly ways of his neighbors. And he said, God, would you deliver us? Just as Hezekiah had renounced the ways of his father Ahaz, just as he had led the children of Israel to institute reform, to turn away from all of these pagan gods, he had taken down their altars. He had called the people back to God. He had restored the temple. He had reinstituted the sacrifices. He destroyed the pagan altars that his father had constructed. Renounced worldly ways, believing that God had the power to deliver them. And then he begged God, God, would you intervene? God, would you deliver us? And then the fourth thing that we, that we see is that Hezekiah received salvation. He received salvation. So when you and I pray to God, we too should receive his salvation. Now, this is what I mean. 
when I say, that, because really there's, there's two ways that we can understand this idea of receiving salvation. First and foremost, of course, is the salvation that is ours in Christ. Understanding that when we pray to God and we cry out to him, when we turn from our sin, when we believe in his power, the greatest need that any of us have is for God to forgive us of our sin. The greatest need in your life is not for your problems with other people to get worked out. It's not for your disease to be healed. The greatest need in your life is not for provision for your family. The greatest need that you have is forgiveness of your sin. And when you cry out to God and you believe in his power, you can trust that he will send salvation. He will deliver you from your sin by faith, if you will trust in him, by faith in his son Jesus. But there's also the, the salvation that comes here as God answers Hezekiah's prayer. In fact, turn to verse 34, chapter 30, uh, chapter 19, excuse me, but, but turn to or look at verse 34. God says this, I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David in order that he might preserve the covenant that he had established with David, that David's line would continue and that through David, he would send a king and that this king would reign forever. Of course, we know that that king is Christ, it's Jesus. And in order that God might fulfill his promise to David to send Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one, God says here, I will deliver, I will deliver my children in this instance. Now, ultimately, we know that, a, that at a later time, Judah turned again away from God and turned again into sin, and that eventually they fell to the Assyrians. It was in 705 that the northern tribes fell, and it wasn't until 586 that the southern tribe of Judah fell, but eventually they did fall to the Assyrian army. And the very ruin that was prophesied against them did happen. But even in that, we see that God was faithful to preserve a remnant, just as he said through the prophet Isaiah, that he would preserve a remnant, and that he did preserve that remnant. And ultimately, he restored them, and he restored the temple, and he restored their worship, and fulfilled his promise by sending Jesus. And in all of this, it's the picture of God's salvation when the people of God turn their hearts to him and cry out to him. Hezekiah humbled himself before God. He repented of his sins, the sins of his forefathers, the sins of Ahaz and, and the other kings of, of Judah, and God blessed him. And in our lives, if we will come to the Lord and repent of our sins, humble ourselves before him, repent of our sins, if we will recognize God's power, if we will request his intervention if we will renounce worldly ways, renounce our sins and sinful ways, and we will receive God's salvation, he will deliver us. He will do for us the things that we ask according to his will for his sake and his glory. If you want to be used of God just as Hezekiah was used of God, you've got to call out to him in prayer, believing in his power. You've got to seek his intervention. You've got to look for ways for God to work in your life and pray to him and seek his will. And, and you've got to renounce your worldly ways. You've got to turn from your sin in, in humility and brokenness. And you need to receive salvation. And, and really that is a picture of the way I want you to understand that is a picture of 
walking in obedience and righteousness to God, walking in the blessings that come when we humble ourselves, when we do as he says, and we experience his power at work in our lives. There's such, a, there's such an incredible picture here of, of Hezekiah's prayer and the way that God worked through him and the way God moved in power. And it's, it's so important that we would understand God still wants to move in power today if we will seek him the way that Hezekiah sought him. Will God work in our lives exactly the way that Hezekiah, he worked in Hezekiah's life? I suppose not, right? Because, well, for one, because we're not surrounded by the army of uh, a neighboring nation and, and, and our situation is completely different, right? But let's be clear, we are surrounded on every side, it seems like today, by the enemy and his works to try to undermine our faith, to try to undermine the, that which we stand for, to try to undermine not only the, the truth of the gospel, but the integrity, the integrity of the gospel and the integrity of believers and those who, who claim to love God and honor him. And we, as the people of God, need to humble ourselves the way that Hezekiah humbled himself. We need to cry out to God, to seek his face, to walk in righteousness, to pray to him, believing in his power, to seek his intervention, to seek his work in our lives, believing that he has the power to do what we ask if we will seek him. And that, I think, is the beautiful lesson that we learn from Hezekiah. God responds to his children when we cry out to him, when we humble ourselves, confess our sin, and seek his ways. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, time of response. And in this time of invitation today, I want to encourage you that you would use this as a moment to do the very thing we've been talking about, that you would humble yourself before God, that you would confess your sin to him, that you would cry out to him, whatever it may be in your life that you feel like you're up against, whatever, whatever obstacles you're facing, whatever it is that has brought distress or anxiety or worry or trouble to you, that you would lay it before God, that you would spread it before him, and you would say, God, I believe in your power over this. I want to I turn from my sin. I want to turn to you, God. I want to honor you and ask for you to work in my life and in my circumstance in a way that's for your name and your sake and your glory. And I believe that if you'll do that, God will honor that prayer. And he will, he will move in your life in such a way that he receives the honor and the glory through you and through your circumstance just as he did in Hezekiah's life. So in this moment of invitation, when we stand together and we sing a song, our altars will be open. I would encourage you that even you would come here to the front and you would kneel in prayer. Our staff will be here at the front. We would love to pray with you. We would love to offer words of counsel to you, even just to pray prayer over you that God would work in your life and encourage you in whatever way we can. And if today, if you recognize that the first step for you in humbling yourself before God is to call to him for salvation, to turn away from your sin and receive his salvation, the free gift that it was made available through faith in Jesus, that even today would be the day that you would turn to Jesus for salvation. Just as we saw in Kentley's example this morning as she was baptized, that you too would confess your sins, that you would believe in, in God's power to forgive your sins, that you would trust in Jesus and make him the Lord and the Savior of your life. So what I want to do now is invite you to pray with me. And even as we pray, may we use this as the moment where we initiate our response, asking God to move and work in our lives. Would you pray with me?